hppodcraft.com. The legend of Mutmore and Sadosma shall arise only in the latter cycles of Earth, when the glad legends of the Prime have been forgotten. Before the time of its telling, many epochs shall have passed away, and the seas shall have fallen in their beds, and new continents shall have come to birth. Perhaps in that day, it will serve to beguile for a little the black weariness of a dying race, grown hopeless of all but oblivion. I tell the tale as men shall tell it in Zothique, the last continent, beneath a dim sun and sad heavens where the stars come out in terrible brightness before eventide. I think I had a yoga instructor called Zothique, which I doubt was her real name. I think she was trying to give herself some of that mystical cred that you can't normally get from growing up in Century City. Yeah. One time I was visiting with my extended family back home and I I told them this whole story about how I was in this yoga class in the park and this dog came tearing through, causing all this chaos. It's a long story, lots of antics, pretty funny. And I'll react to that joke the same way they reacted to my whole story. You were taking yoga? (laughs) Missed the details there. LA changes people. It does. Yeah, I ate some sushi and I did some yoga, all right? (laughs) And I'm dating this girl, Zathik. (laughs) Except her. (laughs) This month, we're getting our swords out and putting on our sandals for some fantasy fun times with Maytember. (laughs) Why Maytember? Well, because, you know, it's May Uh and we always put like timber on our puns. So, yeah, Maytember. I'm down with it. It's better than anything I came up with, honestly. My big one that I picked was Mantasy, which, you know. (laughs) You capitalize the M-A-Y so that May pops out. But then when you say it out loud, it just sounds like something else. So I couldn't go with Mantasy. Another one was May I Stab You? (laughs) Which I think fits for sword and sorcery, but at the same time, that fits for like modern day crimes too. So it's not quite as good. So yeah, Maytember I'm on board with. Great. We'll keep tooling with it. Maybe people will have suggestions. We begin Maytember with a Clark Ashton Smith gem story called... The Empire of the Necromancers. Hmm, I wonder what this story is going to be about. Levi Nunez is back and rocking us with some psychedelic fantasy music inspired by Dungeons and Dragons and lots of other cool stuff. Loot the Body, an awesome fantasy-based band that has a new EP available for pre-order right now on Bandcamp. It's called Hex Volume 1. Six songs, each based on a classic D&D adventure. Gonna want to dig into these. Do you remember White Plume Mountain? (laughs) Dwellers of the Forbidden City. Castle Amber, which is the one based on Colossus of Yalor. Yes, so glad there's a song about that. Tomb of Horrors. That is a diabolical adventure. There's a door. I'm gonna open a door. Oh, you die. (laughs) Well, the title would never tip that. And Ravenloft, which is one of my favorite uh, campaigns in adventure settings. I played that one a few times. Yes, that one I've, I've actually heard of. And then also The Keep on the Borderlands. Classic. Very excited about it. But also, check this out. The Barrier Peak Songbook is getting a cassette release from the badass folks at Where Gnome Records. It's a limited run, so get your butt up to the peak and order that cassette right now. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people say, well, the sound quality is not as good at, on cassette, but I was just thinking about this the other day. You really can't replace that satisfying <laughs> plugging that cassette in and hitting play. It's a very physical thing to do. Feels so good. You don't get that from MP3s. Not even. Those things, it's like there's no effort at all. It's like a March Dracula song. Oh. <laughs> 
Uh, this story, The Empire of the Necromancers, was first published in the September 1932 issue of Weird Tales. Actually, you know, the newest issue of Weird Tales came out around Christmas, and I had meant to report on it. Oh, really? It was like 10 bucks on the Kindle. I grabbed it. Yeah, I have it. I, and there was another one before that, which I believe was the relaunch that's got the Irma Vap cover. I, I haven't cracked them yet. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. But I wanted to support Weird Tales. I thought I'll have plenty of time to read these, just like my film adaptation of The Colossus of Valoran. <laughs> I'll have all the time in the world to get that done. Speaking of which, since we're doing Clark Ash and Smith, I am working on it, and yeah. I have almost all the collateral I need, so I haven't given up on it, but um, I'm confronted with the very foreseeable reality of being a little too busy to work on it as, <laughs> as much as I want to, just like those copies of Weird Tales. I'll get to them eventually. But let's get into Sword and Sorcery Month. I'm really tired of these futuristic stories. I'm really looking forward to something from the distant past, so. Well, Sorry to say, but this story takes place in Zothique, which is a fantasy realm set in the distant future. What? We pulled a Star Wars, flipped it around. You know, Star Wars takes place in the past. You wouldn't have guessed that, but it does. Oh, right. Long time ago. Well, as long as the human race is thriving, I'm still down with it. Yeah, good. In Zothique, the human race is in decline. Oh, Sorry <laughs> about that. There are 16 stories and one poem in this setting, and all the stories were collected together in a single book called Zothique, uh, which came out in 1970, and it was edited by Lynn Carter. I'll read Clark Ashton Smith's description of Zothique. Zothique, vaguely suggested by theosophic theories about past and future continents, is the last inhabited continent of Earth. I didn't know that. So that's, this is the last place. This is the mm -hmm. last stand of Earthlings. Yep. The continents of our present cycle have sunken, perhaps several times. Some have remained submerged. Others have re-risen partially and rearranged themselves. Zothique, as I conceive it, comprises Asia Minor, Arabia, Persia, India, parts of Northern and Eastern Africa, and much of the Indonesian archipelago. The science and machinery of our present civilization have long been forgotten, together with our present religions and MP3s. Wow, I really <laughs> put that in there. But many gods are worshipped, and sorcery and demonism prevail again as in ancient days. Oars and sails alone are used by mariners. There are no firearms, only the bows, arrows, swords, javelins, etc. of antiquity. Great, that means like no long gun scenes like in them. I can just enjoy it without people shooting. <laughs> but also no flamethrowers, so mm. it's a give and take, man. Yeah. We covered one of the Zothic stories, actually, The Charnel God. And that was way back in 2014. Oh, you were going to make me nostalgic for my 30s, except it was 2018. What? That we did it. Yeah. I, I was off I, by four years. Dang. I Googled it. So this story is a doozy, and I am looking forward to talking about it. That opening paragraph was set off by itself. We should mention the story actually begins after that with chapter one. We have these two necromancers, Matt Moore and Sodosma. They are from the Dark Isle of Nat and recently came to Tenareth to get up to some undead shenanigans. But the people of Tenareth are not cool with necromancy, so they ran them out of town and into the desert. When I jumped into that script for Elorn, I didn't read too much more of Clark Ashton Smith's stuff except what we'd covered. Because mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to try my best to use what was already there just in that story. But yeah. I did need the main character to spell out why necromancy was bad. And his explanation in the script is that it rends the deceased out of the peace of eternity to be a slave. And yeah. I don't think that's anything novel, but I was glad that this is the sort of crime in the this morality tale of mm -hmm. Empire of the Necromancers. That is a terrible thing to do to somebody when they've finally gone to that eternal rest. So we're on the same page. You know, because if it were a matter of just using magic to make something formerly dead move around, what's the big deal? Yeah. I don't think folks would have a problem with it. People like puppet shows and animation, and those are just yeah. dead trees moving around. It's fun. Uh, although now that I think of it, that would be pretty horrifying to an audience of trees. Well, yeah. A human's like, oh, look, it's Pinocchio, but a tree might think, what did they do to my husband? <laughs> that marionette used to be the branch that held me. Now they're making it dance and tell lies. 
Anyway, these guys get run out into the desert, like you say. Into a land once called Sincor. The desert used to have this great civilization before plague killed everyone a very long time ago. But there's lots of mummies and ruins out there. This is not to be confused with Sinkor, which was the He-Man character. It was just Skeletor's body with a sink for a head. They were really <laughs> running out of ideas. Stinkor was a good seller. That's real. And so yeah. they, they went for this fake one I just said. Well, our guys, Matt Moore and Sadosma, are walking out this barren land. They find a skeleton of a horse and its rider. Matt Moore says, hey, you could ride that horse since you're my senior by a few years. A little bit of shade there. And we'll make the rider our servant. And they're like, okay, great. Sounds fun. Bam. Zombie horse and servant. Well, they're more skeletons than zombies. They're very dry. They're dry. <laughs> These are dry horses. You know, I thought that was sort of a save the cat the mom moment where he, you know what? You can ride this dead horse. I was like, oh, I can get behind this guy. He's nice. But now you pointed <laughs> out it was shade. He was trying to let that guy know he's old. Ah, these guys are terrible. That really sucks for the horse, by the way, more than the rider who gets reanimated. These two get reanimated because a lot of these, especially these mummies later on, they probably had pretty decent lives. Oh, yeah. You know, if they had the means to be mummified. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't afford that. So these guys, they can probably handle a few years of drink pouring and light dusting. But the horse, this is the same thing it was doing in life. Yeah. You know, ridden around, kicked in the ribs. Aww. Horses deserve a break, I think. The death yeah. break. People assume all the time that horsepower, you know, in a car is called that because it's a reference to the earlier technology, but it actually is because horses invented cars, oh, which a lot of people don't know. Yeah. I did not know that. That's a group that were not afraid of machines taking their jobs away. You know, ask a horse sometime. You want, you want to go back to people riding you around? You know what they'll say? Nay. Oh. <laughs> Nay, Chris. I set you up for that. You were right not to take the bait, by the way. That joke sucked! <laughs> I, I loved it. As a dad, I really appreciate dad jokes. Good jokes. Oh, I heard you say good jokes. Okay, good yeah, jokes. Going. Good jokes. Yeah. You're using dad in that cool slang way where people mean it. It means something good. Those genes are dad. Daddy-o. They walk a bit further and find another dead horse and rider, Abracadabra, another zombie horse, and a dude. They get to the ruins of the capital of Sinkor, Yethlyer Om. There are lots of mummies and long dead people, and our boys decide to resurrect them all. All these people in this town, they're like, who's going to stop us? And I'm left wondering, what kind of crazy power do these two schmucks have? They suck enough to get run out of town, yet they have enough power to raise thousands of dead people and animals? Well, I guess they just need, it's the space and time. You know, when they did the horses, it said they drew a threefold circle and standing together at its center, they performed the abominable rites that compel the dead to arise from tranquil nothingness and obey henceforward in all things the dark will of the necromancer. So it's not like they speak a magic word. It's a whole ceremony thing. And I think back in Tinnerath, you're going to get interrupted. It's, it, you know, it's kind of like when I used to edit this podcast at my job. <laughs> you know, you try to explain why Polaris is relevant to marketing, but they tell you to stop. It doesn't work. Do what you were hired to do. So I think these sure. guys are, were in that same situation where finally nobody's bugging them. So yeah... They're crazy powerful, but it's just because there's no one else around. That's what I was thinking. Okay, sure. My criticisms aren't really criticisms. They're more questions. Oh, I thought the same thing. I love the story. So they raise all these dead people and they put them back to work. They're cleaning, they're working fields, they're growing crops. Even past kings of this land are raised, but they are just put into servant work, which is kind of a diss. How can you know how to do this kind of thing? Like, <laughs> yeah. like a whole town of dead people is like cosmic cube level of power or the children of the forest or something like that. Well, I mean, I agree because especially they said those that we have summoned from the tomb shall move and breathe only at our dictation and may not rebel against us. I'm thinking, wait, you have to boss this many people around? If they only move at your dictation, does that mean you have to go give them all 
personal instructions? No, I don't yeah. think so. I just think they don't understand their power because clearly there's some autonomy going on. Oh, yeah. When they give a command. So yep. they give a basic command and then the dead people go and do it using probably their human memories. Yes, which we find out later. That's true. You're right. So the, le the, the more they make, the less ability they are going to have to control them, which mm -hmm. is a pretty human thing when you're starting a cult or a mob or some kind of movement. But again, I think you're meant to ask that question because this is a story. I, you know, I thought about it a lot after I finished that this is a story about power unchecked, the space and time thing I was saying. The thing that's giving them this power is leaving society. And, and it's also finding all of these resources because this place is full of not just mummies, but stuff. Yeah. There's been a plague, as you, you said earlier. So they're not reanimating pools of vomit to get this booze. It's already there, you know, in bottles yeah. ready to go. Mm -hmm. In that respect, this story may be intentionally, I'm not sure, but it's a little bit of the story of America. <laughs> The Empire of the Necromancers. Because, all right, well, some folks with some poorly tolerated religious beliefs, right, get booted out of England, uh -huh. show up in a plague-stricken land where a lot of development has already been done for them. Because some of the New England tribes in the 1500s, they were done in by diseases they contracted in their limited contact with Europeans up to that point. Yeah. I was reading something from the New England Historical Society that the Native Americans in Maine, who were among the first to make contact with the Europeans, one of these tribes was devastated by typhus. The population of that tribe went from 20,000 to 4,000 as a result oh, of that. And this was in the 1500s. There was a plague in 1616 that hit these shores, and they're not sure what exactly it was. It could have been smallpox, maybe yellow fever, maybe bubonic plague. But so much of the Indian population died, there weren't enough left to bury the dead. Oh. Uh, English colonist Thomas Morton described the heaps of dead Indians, a newfound Golgotha. As many as 90 percent, I'm getting this from the New England Historical Society, as many as 90 percent of the 4,500 Indians of the Massachusetts tribe perished. The mm. disease cleared the Boston Harbor Islands of inhabitants. So think about that. All their stuff's still there. They're just gone. Yeah. English explorer John Smith had visited New England before the plague in 1614. He returned eight years later, and what he saw shocked him. God laid this country open for us, he wrote. Where I had seen 100 or 200 people there, scarce 10 to be found. So there's a lot more to read up on, but these guys find themselves in a similar situation in Empire of the ne Necromancers. Hey, look at all these resources here for us. Mm -hmm. And then what do you need to become a quick empire? Slaves. Yeah. So let's get some slaves in here. And in that respect, this should be in history books for the U.S. <laughs> Boy, I was I was with you through most of that, and then. Well, I'm not saying you should do that. I'm just saying that slaves are required to become as powerful a nation as the U.S. within 200 years. You yeah. know, I love all these people that pat themselves on the back and then kind of forget to acknowledge all the free labor that kind mm -hmm. of. <laughs> yep. Made it all possible. Now I will say I'm on these guys' side in that they really get a kick out of making the old leaders worship them, and I think I'd probably do that too if I was a necromancer. Yeah. <laughs> They called forth the imperial mummies, even to the eldest of the dynasty. They have a double throne they set up, which I think is nice. Yeah. They never fight. I thought they might fight between the two of them. Oh, no. They're, they're best buds. They hold hands up there. It says amid the assembled emperors, they were invested with sovereignty. So they make them come out and pay obeisance to them, like yeah. declare them emperors. Why did they do that? Because they're jerks. I just don't ever understand why you would have... Why you would make somebody praise you knowing that it's forced. How could that possibly make you feel anything but bad? But isn't that like what most despots do? Yes. <laughs> and I don't understand it. Yes. Good. I really don't. I hope you never do. Oh, thanks, man. That was reverse shade because what you're saying is if I did understand that, I could become a despot. Yeah. Kind of lifted my chin up a little bit there. Aww. Thanks, Lackey. No problem. And that gets us into chapter two. In all things, the people of Syncor performed the actions of life at the will of Matmor and Sedosma. They spoke, they moved, they ate and drank as in life. 
They heard and saw and felt with a similitude of the senses that had been theirs before death. But their brains were enthralled by a dreadful necromancy. They recalled but dimly their former existence, and the state to which they had been summoned was empty and troublous and shadow-like. Their blood ran chill and sluggish, mingled with water of Lethe, and the vapors of Lethe clouded their eyes. So they talk, and they eat, and they drink? Is that how they're powered? I have so many questions about how this mm. works, because for us to move around and do stuff, we got to eat and breathe. And obviously, yeah. these guys don't do that, so they got to get their power to do stuff. Like, if it's magical, where's that magical power coming from, that they're able to do these types of things? Yeah, I don't know. Well, I think if you're a necromancer, I don't know. Is it some kind of demonic? Are demons doing this for you? No, because it's these... No, no. I got to crack open a science book and see if I can get to the <laughs> bottom of this, but... I don't think they're powered by food and drink because you'd have a bunch of skeletons eating hamburgers. That's yeah. just falling through the ribcage. So it I think, uh, I just think that it's, if they're not given specific commands, they fill in the time doing whatever it was they did in They used life. to do. Yeah. Yeah. So they're going to the mall and hitting up the Starbucks and stuff like that. Because <laughs> they do have some dim memory of who they once were, but they're compelled by the necromancers to just do what they're told. There was, you know, when when uh, this guy that you're about to introduce here, Illyrio, mm -hmm. when he when he comes up, he talks about what the process is like. You're just like, oh, I got to go do a job. You don't really have thought of your own. Yeah. So you're probably just filling time between tasks. Well, this guy you're talking about is called Illyrio. Mm -hmm. He is the youngest and last of the emperors. He had only died 200 years prior. And he died from the plague. He was one of the people that was around when the plague hit. It says, Ilero had resumed the emptiness of existence without question and felt no surprise. He had accepted his own resurrection and that of his ancestors as one accepts the indignities and marvels of a dream. He knew that he had come back to a faded sun, to a hollow and spectral world, to an order of things in which his place was merely that of obedient shadow. But at first he was troubled only, like the others, by a dim weariness and pale hunger for lost oblivion. He kind of wants to be dead again. He has this urge to to go yeah. back to the way things were, the natural state of things. But he's accepting of his lot at first. At first. And then he starts having thoughts, memories of his past existence. And maybe this is because they have him doing cocktail waitress duty. And he's <laughs> like, wait, I don't, I'm a king. I don't do serve drinks. That's not my thing. What's going on here? As opposed to R2-D2. I don't know why, but I always got the sense that he kind of enjoyed his job serving drinks on Jabba's <laughs> Pleasure Barge. That yeah. short little interlude. <laughs> I mean, he knew he was going to get out of it. He had the lightsaber yeah. in there and everything. But I feel like he was having a good time at the job while it lasted. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, being a, a guy that brings people drinks, it's a pretty good job. You know, people are really happy to see you. You're giving them stuff they want. Yeah, exactly. And normally he's getting bossed around. Go fix this thing or two. Shut up and get in the back. Hang out <laughs> with this idiot droid who just bitches all the time. And for once he was like, I am the coolest bartender in this place. <laughs> Everybody's like, it's R2, my boy. You know, that's, he got to live that life for a little bit of time. Yeah, flipping bottles, doing tricks. Yeah, it was a cocktail, basically. <laughs> he was living that cocktail Tom Cruise life. He was. Yeah. <laughs> Kind of ruin the rest of the movie now that I think about it. It's got a pretty, it's got an unhappy ending for an hour and a half. Oh. They put him back to work, just like this guy. But this guy, you know, he starts observing his boss's behavior, which is very Jabba-like, actually. He saw their caprices of cruelty and lust, their growing drunkenness and gluttony. He watched them wallow in their necromantic luxury and became <laughs> lax with indolence, gross with indulgence. 
they neglected the study of their art. So I guess, you know, you got to take like upkeep courses at the community college to keep being so. a necromancer. There's yeah. new stuff coming into the field you got to be abreast of. Uh, they forgot many of their spells, but still they ruled mighty and formidable and lolling on couches of purple and rose, they planned to lead an army of the dead against Tinareth. So... Oof. They're going to do something at some point. Uh, that surprised well, me. I thought they were just going to be out here chilling. Eventually, they're going to do something. But these guys seem pretty lazy and depraved. Mm. I don't know what this deprivation is exactly, but I'm sure the movie Necromantic, spelled with a K, might give you some ideas. Or Oof. its sequel, Necromantic 2, Dead Sexy. Oh, Is that really the name of it? <laughs> no. There oh, is a God. sequel to Necromantic, but the subtitle, I just... It's German, so I'm guessing it's probably dead sex. That's what I would name. I, I don't know if you too. heard it, but I started to laugh and then was repulsed in the laugh <laughs> and then just made a weird gasping noise. <laughs> Whoa, God, no! I mean, when it says they're necromantic luxury, yeah, there's some. Hmm. Oh, well, Alero, he's stuck. He can't figure out what he has to do to free himself and his people because he's stuck under the spell. The dead talk, but there's no real recognition of wife or husband, brother or sister. You know, it's they're all like kind of. Well, you know, zombies. Now, except <laughs> yeah. except for Alero, who remembers his eldest ancestor that he heard of, this guy Hestian, who was a wizard from antiquity. Now he's all up walking around as well. Alero is able to talk with him, and the wizard remembers some of the ancient ways and a way that might help them escape undeath. And this ancestor recalls that a dim, dubitable prophecy was made in primal years at the founding of this town, the Empire of, of, of Sinkor. And that prophecy was that an evil greater than death would befall the emperors and the people of Sinkor in future times. And the first and last of the Nimboth dynasty, that's these guys, mm -hmm. conferring together would affect a mode of release and the lifting of the doom. Which is cool, but I mean, I don't know. Why bother with a prophecy? Yeah. I guess to give them the rule book to get out of this, but it was in Evil Dead 2, I liked that that prophecy element was in there because it was funny when she opens up the page of the Necronomicon and oh, Bruce yeah. Campbell's on it. That was a great <laughs> I still remember laughing about that in 1987 or whatever, but yeah. otherwise it kind of seems to strip the achievements of a hero away when they have a prophecy about them, to me. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty proud of these zombies for remembering so hard. <laughs> they did a good job. And then you find out it was all prophesied, you know, it was all foretold. So it seems like it's more of just a a plot playing itself out rather than the achievement of the individual. I guess that's I, why I don't like prophecy I typically stuff. agree with you. However, let's rewind back to Evil Dead 2. The mm. reason why that was cool was he actually went back in time. Yes. So that was like, it's one of those temporal loop things, you know, like he, he was yeah. the cause of, so he ended up in the Necronomicon because he went back in time. So like it all, you know, a causality loop, all that had oh, yeah. to happen. So that was, dude, that I was, have scar tissue from my head blowing up at the end of that movie when that <laughs> happened. I don't know if I've ever been as happy that <laughs> I could not believe that happened. God, I love that movie. Oh, anyway, back to this story. I, I don't even know if I can go back to the story after talking about it, too. <laughs> now, he remembers that, there, that there's a clay image in the vaults that, if broken, will give them a clue about what to do, but he can't remember any more than that. So Alero remembers that image, and he goes down to the nethermost vault, and he cracks it open, and they find a great sword of unrusted steel, a heavy key of untarnished bronze, and tablets of bright brass on which were inscribed the various things to be done, so that Sinkor should be rid of the dark reign of the necromancers, and the people should win back to oblivious death. Yeah, my alternate theory of this prophecy is that maybe Clark Ashton Smith was just tired of his own story at this point, <laughs> and just went... 
and then they find some instructions to end my story. <laughs> Let's just get to it. Yeah, I, I, I was fine with it. But I was fine know. with it too. But they I they mean, get a right. lot of information. They don't really need that. It could have been like, hey, I knew about old man wizard said, yeah, I knew about necromancy, but I never did it because it was wrong. But I still remember how to do it. They could have just done this on their own. They didn't really need this prophecy. I mean, I think it was enough of an achievement that they became sort of sentient. Yes. So what is it like for these two sentient zombies in this mass of other zombies? Mm. They have to play along. They have to do something. They have to scheme it to get up yeah. there and behead these guys. Yeah. Which happens when they're when they're passed out. These necromancers, they get so drunk, they pass out. Hessian takes the sword, you know, the one that's unrusted, goes up, stands mm. by the sleeping forms in a laro knows the door that this key opens. It leads down to some steps, which go down, 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 to where the sunken fires of the earth still burn. So Hestia and the wizard, at that point, he cuts the head off the necromancers. Then he chops off their arms and their legs. He then speaks to all the undead and they speak to one another. And then they all, all of them in the whole empire, walk to this door and they go down the stairs into the fire pits to their own destruction. They flung themselves to a second death and the clean annihilation of the bottomless flames. You know, they were having a good hard sleep in death. It's like you ever wake up from sleep to do one thing, oh. you know? Like, I got to get the garbage out in five in the morning. I got to remember yeah. that. So you wake mm -hmm. up, run out and do it. And that walk back to bed. Oh, so great. I mm. know I'm going to get there and just lay down and go right back to sleep. That's what they're up to. And I got to think Clark Ashton Smith might have been tired a lot of the time because <laughs> this is kind of how Lauren ended too. All right. And then everybody got to lay down and have a nice nap. That's right. sort of the end of his stories. So after they have all gone, the wizard does some necromancing of his own on the bodies of Matmore and Sedosma. Maledictions came from the pale lips and the heads rolled horribly with glaring eyes and the limbs and torsos writhed on their imperial couches amid clotted blood. Oh, oh. Mm. so the body parts... And the heads are all alive or undead yeah. and moving around Some and stuff. Some reanimator stuff, yeah. Yeah. And then Alero and Hestian, they leave. So, in tranquil silence, with no further need of words, Elyro and Hestion passed through the open door of the nether vault, and Elyro locked the door behind them with its key of untarnished bronze. And thence, by the coiling stairs, they wended their way to the verge of the sunken flames and were one with their kinfolk and their people in the last, ultimate nothingness. But of Matmor and Sedosma, men say that their quartered bodies crawled to and fro to this day in Yathlyrim, finding no peace or respite from their doom of life in death, and seeking vainly through the black maze of nether vaults the door that was locked by Elyro. Yeah, they found the, the cask of Amontillado they were drinking so much. I think Poe would be like, that ending went a little too far. Jeez, that's well, rough. That's exactly what they were doing. They were enslaving these poor chumps forever. Who knows how long they would have been enslaved if it wasn't for yeah. this rebellion. And they were only getting what they did to thousands of other people. So... I don't feel too bad for them. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't like seeing wizards get punished, but if they're necromancers, I guess I'm on board with it. I was thinking about that earlier comment we got, you know, about how throughout the story, because necromancers, there's a lot of cool things they could be doing. Oh, yeah. But these guys said, no, we're going to use it to enrich ourselves, you know, just for necromantic luxury. And that's not cool. It is not cool. It's a story with a with an important lesson in it. And I, you know, I'm surprised this isn't taught more in grade schools. <laughs> Sunday schools. 
You know, places where kids can get an early tip. Hey, necroman necromancy seems cool. Yeah, it does. But in the end, it just, you know, necromancy doesn't pay. I want to thank uh, Levi Nunez once again for doing the show. He's been uh, hitting us up a lot lately with his readings, and I'm pleased with each and every one of them. And don't forget Luther Body's new EP available for pre-order on Bandcamp. It's called Hex Volume 1. Six songs, all awesome. Check it out. I also want to thank some patrons who are wonderful and uh, are keeping this empire of these two necromancers going. Uh, <laughs> although we value them and uh, hope that they never take revenge by cutting us up and putting us in a in a walled up room. Thanks, guys. I'm going to start by thanking Craig Parker for not doing that. I want to thank Brooke Brown. Thank you. I want to thank Riley Harris. Thank you, Mark Kenny. Thank you, Jack or Jake. It's J-A-E-K. I'm going to say uh, Jack. Thanks both Jack and Jake. <laughs> I'd like to thank Brian Kirk. I'd like to thank Meshach Vault Case. I'd like to thank Tim Ludvigson. I'd like to thank Ash Royal. And lastly, thank you, Fiona. We're going to be back with some Sweet Fritz Liber, The Sunken Land, here in this month of Sword and Sorcery May Timber, so I hope you'll join us for that. For now, I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And I'm Chris Lackey, and you've been listening to HP Podcraft. Strange studies of strange stories. HPPodcraft.com. Ah!